Hi, everyone. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Today, I'm here with our editor, Rusty Turner uh, of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And we have the opportunity today to visit with Megan Godfrey, who is the state representative uh, representing District 89. And she is uh, running for re-election. She uh, she's getting close to finishing her first term and uh, we'll be on the November 3rd ballot. Uh, and we appreciate you coming in and uh, or not coming in in this case uh, to, to uh, visit about uh, the campaign and, and uh, the uh, upcoming term. So I uh, just wanted to explain a little bit about uh, you being a, an educator uh, that, uh, uh, and uh, studying for a PhD in education. That's right, yes. Okay. And, uh, uh, we, uh, you've also been a legislator for two, almost two years, and uh, uh, I'm sure some education issues have cropped up in the middle of that. Um, first of all, uh, would you just tell us, just to uh, make sure everybody knows where, where we're talking about, where District 89 is? Sure. So the easiest way to describe District 89 is downtown and East Springdale. To get a little bit more um, concrete about the boundaries, it goes to 40th Street on the west side, a little bit past Butterfield Coach on the east side, up to the county line on the north side, and 412 west and east on the south. So right there in the heart of Springdale, that um, downtown portion, um, kind of east of 40th Street and north of 412. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, let's just start off with you telling us a little bit about um, your experience as a first-term legislator and what it is that makes you want to go back and, uh, and, and try uh, another two years at this. Sure. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to get to visit. I um, definitely am very excited to be running for re-election because I did have such a great first term. Um, and, you know, when I first got elected in 2018, uh, I, I pulled off an upset. Um, I was not favored to win and beat a Republican incumbent. And so I knew um, that, you know, from the campaign and from my very first um, day as a legislator, that it would be a very difficult task. Um, fortunately, what I learned right away um, was that my experience in the legislature was actually much less partisan and divisive than I anticipated it being. You know, sometimes we hear about politics as so, um, you know, even ugly sometimes or feel so far away in Washington. But what I learned really quickly in the state legislature was that it's very, um, it, it's, it's easy, um, maybe not easy, but it's possible um, and even fun to find ways to work across the aisle, to find, you know, just common sense pragmatic solutions to our communities. And that can be done even if you, you know, are just getting started and even if you're in the minority party. Um, and so I really did have um, a great first experience as a, as a legislator. And I'm really, really proud to represent my community um, because, you know, Springdale is my hometown and I've lived here uh, since I was in eighth grade. And so to get to bring all of the unique and diverse voices and stories and experiences of Springdale to the legislature, to tell those stories, to, you know, listen to the problems and the concerns in our community and find ways to solve those problems um, is really a great honor and something I want to continue doing. Um, I ran in 2018 thinking about 
my values of being for families, for fairness, and for the future. And I think my constituents have seen um, what I meant by those values and that I live up to those values, that I am doing things for families to make life easier for working families, to expand and protect healthcare, you know, to consider um, moms and kids and, and families who may be having a hard time getting ahead, especially um, in these past couple months that we've seen. You know, when I say I'm for fairness, I think Springdale and District 89 in particular is one of the most special and unique communities in all of the state. It's politically diverse, it's ethnically diverse, it's economically diverse. And I think fairness is a core value um, that the representative of that community needs to embody and champion. And being for the future, Greg, you mentioned my experience as an educator. I think it's so important that we invest um, in our young people today, but also find ways to expand opportunity both through work and through education for more Arkansans. And so I'm looking forward to opportunities to make investments in infrastructure, investments in, in job opportunities, and investments in education so that Arkansas works for everybody. And so that's what I um, am proud of in 2018 um, and in my first term uh, over these past couple of years. And those are the values I want to continue to champion um, moving into my second term. I've been so pleased to have such broad support, bipartisan, uh, cross-cultural support in my district um, and even among my colleagues in the legislature as well. Um, and I'm just so excited to continue that good work. Um, Springdale's moving forward and I'm ready to, con to continue all of that good progress we've started. What do you believe are going to be the, the, the real, you know, the big issues, the, the ones that um, all lawmakers across the state are going to have to face up to uh, in the next, uh, we've got a general, a session of the General Assembly coming up in January. What do you, what's, uh, what's going to be on your plates? Well, I think that we've seen that the COVID-19 crisis has really highlighted a lot of the issues that our constituents are experiencing. Since March, I've been in several meetings with my colleagues and there has been a real um, bipartisan consensus and willingness to look at what the problems are that maybe were under the surface and have kind of risen to our attention um, since, since the COVID-19 crisis has, has um, been a problem here in Arkansas. I think um, jobs and unemployment is definitely an issue we're going to need to tackle. I've helped countless constituents repeatedly with trying to secure their unemployment funds and um, walking them through the process and getting them the help they need. Um, I think the fact that we have, um, especially in my district, but across the state, we have folks who don't have adequate health care, access to the health care they need. Um, and so looking for ways um, to expand health care for more Kansans. You know, for example, just this past week, um, there was an opportunity to be a part of helping our state employee retirees um, save their prescription drug coverage. And that was something that um, was done without legislation, but I think that those issues where we're seeing healthcare is more important now than ever, finding ways to, um, you know, to, to work across party lines and say, we, we have folks who are sick, who are dying, who need um, to be able to afford to go to the doctor, need to find inclusive and, and creative ways to visit the doctor and to be able to have coverage if they, if they don't have it already. Um, and so I definitely think healthcare is going to be a huge issue. I also think, um, you know, in my district in particular, our communities, particularly our Marshallese and our Hispanic communities were hit uh, disproportionately hard 
by COVID. And so I think we're, we're also looking at what are some of those barriers um, that, that some of our, our communities are facing? What, what can we do not only in regards to healthcare, but wages, housing, safe workplaces? Um, those are all issues that are not particular to one certain part of the state. It is, it is relevant in District 89, but my colleagues, you know, from urban to rural, from Democrat to Republican are all seeing there are folks who are struggling and there are opportunities that we as a state um, can step in and say, what can we do to better the lives and the opportunities of our Kansans? And so I think that um, because we've heard from so many of our constituents who say, please help, this is, this is a difficult, this is a difficult time for me economically, um, health-wise, um, with my children, I, I'm in a bind. And I think we're, we're hearing those stories, we're seeing opportunities for the state to do better. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll um, kind of collect those stories, see the trends, and see what we as Arkansans can do um, to make the state better for everybody. I'm, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I am intrigued by your response about the, um, how your experience once you got to Little Rock uh, indicated uh, less divisiveness in the day-to-day, -day, I guess, operation of, of the legislature uh, than what you saw as kind of an outsider going into it. Um, uh, do, do you have a feeling as to why or a sense as to why how why that uh, why that plays out that way why from the outside it, it appears right. as though there's a lot of divisiveness and and you don't see that there I'm happy to talk about it because you're not the only one who's surprised by it people are like really is that really the truth because I think we do see politics as you know something that you know it it's something to fight over to have hurt feelings over um, and I think there are a couple of reasons why it, it wasn't like that. I think one, you know, state politics is just, it's more local um, and we have more things in common, um, even, you know, with, with um, colleagues whose constituencies or whose, different, or whose districts are much different than mine. Um, I do think it's, it's just a, um, you know, it's a small state and I think we all want to find good solutions um, for our, for our constituents. I think too, um, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that, it, you know, I had never been a legislator before, but in working in other work environments, you just learn who you kind of click with, who shares your same um, level of professionalism, their willingness to collaborate, willing to work across party line, or, you know, work with differing opinions. And so you just kind of find your people um, you, you, you're able, you know, just like I have in, in professional experiences as a public educator, you find the people who share, um, you know, your interests, who share your values, or sh at least if, if you differ on, on issues, share your work style and your um, willingness to collaborate, willing to work hard, willing to ask questions and push back. And so I think, um, you know, it was just an experience where it was just about being professional, is about being um, a collaborator, being a member of a team, um, and, and having opportunities to, um, to just do good work, to partner with others who want to do good work. And I think, of course, there are always going to be issues um, that, that get tense, that get fired up. You know, I can't say I 
didn't leave the Capitol crying on certain days because it was so frustrating and so intense and we just couldn't, um, couldn't get to that common ground and that collaboration that in many cases we could. Um, but ultimately, I just, I think that, you know, I anticipated it being um, ugly or mean-spirited or hard. And really, my colleagues across the aisle have been really great to welcome me, to, you know, to collaborate with me, or to be honest when, when they can't. And I think that's been um, a pleasant surprise, definitely for me, but also um, for, for many people I tell this story to. Because I think we see, like, Democrats or Republicans, and they're going to go head to head, and they'll never be friends. And it's just not true. You know, one of my best friends in the legislature is one of the most conservative members, and we tease each other, and we, you know, don't always vote together, but we've also been able to collaborate in some ways. And I think um, those stories make it hopeful, not just for me, but for all our Kansans who see politics as something that feels inaccessible or scary or like nothing can ever get done. And that just isn't true. It wasn't true in my experience. And, you know, as a freshman Democrat, um, I didn't know I would be able to get anything done. And to be able to pass a bill that on the surface looked like it could be partisan was a bill to allow DACA recipients, if you have DACA immigration status, you be licensed as a nurse in Arkansas. When I first started talking to my colleagues about it, they were like, immigration bill, no, we're not doing that. But then as I explained, actually, we have a nursing shortage. We've been focused on workforce development. We've been focused on reducing red tape for um, people who want to be licensed as licensed professionals in our state. This is a win-win. This meets a, a nursing shortage. This expands work opportunities, which we want and need, and it expands fairness and opportunity for young immigrants. And so, you know, I was able to pass that bill with 90 votes it, out of 100 in the Arkansas House with zero no votes. And I think that couldn't be done without an environment and a willingness to collaborate and, and find, um, find solutions that are not just Republican ideas or Democrat ideas. And I'm really proud that I was able to do that in my first term. And that's the kind of pragmatic policymaking that I want to continue. That's, that's what I feel like I have a mandate from my district to do, I do have a, a politically diverse district, um, meaning, you know, I, I don't have a, a hard left or a hard right mandate. I think people do value and want and appreciate pragmatic, bipartisan, collaborative lawmaking, and that's what I'm committed to. Megan, I'm, I'm curious, particularly from your perspective as, as not just a legislator, but also as an educator, um, how Arkansas is responding in schools to the pandemic. Uh, and then I want to ask a larger question about how the state's responding in general, but, but, but your, your experience as an educator kind of intrigues me. So tell me what you think or what your observation is of how the schools have been doing in trying to deal with um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, if you don't mind, I'll also talk as a mom a little bit too, because yep, I, have, I have a four-year-old in public pre-K and a second grader um, down the street at Westwood Elementary. And so I think it's wearing both hats. It's been really helpful to see as a mom, um, we decided to send our kids to on-site instruction, which was a really, really difficult decision. I think that every parent in the state weighed the options and felt like there was no good solution um, because it is so 
just so unknown what, what could happen. We see the cases continue to rise. I know that teachers felt anxious, parents felt anxious, school leaders felt anxious. Um, but I will say, I think that at the school level, especially my kids' school, I'm biased, of course, but at the school level, teachers and school leaders are doing everything they can to balance the normalcy of high quality instruction with the importance of health. And I think that they've done an incredible job at the local level. I do think there was a missed opportunity at the state level from um, the Division of Elementary and Secondary Education to give stronger and clearer guidance. Um, I think that schools were really desperate for it. I was still working um, for Fayetteville Schools as the, the co-director of ESL um, in the spring. And I think at the district level and at the school level, um, of course, districts and schools need flexibility. They need the opportunity to respond to the needs in their district, which at the time, especially in the spring, um, were very different all across the state. Um, but I also think that, you know, the division and the Department of Education exist to give strong leadership. And if there was ever a time to do it, it's in a pandemic. And I think that, that we could have and should have um, from the get-go at the state level, given stronger guidance, um, both instructionally and also um, with regards to the, the health guidelines. And so, um, you know, to, to kind of step into your next question, I think you're asking just in general, um, COVID response. Right. Um, and I, I think the same is true. I think we needed stronger and quicker um, top-down leadership. And, and honestly, I do think the governor has done a great job um, in many regards. Um, and I appreciate his willingness to collaborate with, um, with lawmakers. I, you know, I think it was on March 13th, that very first day or that very first, um, you know, week that we had cases in Arkansas, I sat down with the governor and met with him and said, we need um, to take this very seriously in our non-English speaking communities and said, we've got to get some funding for Spanish and Marshallese communications about this. Um, unfortunately, we saw a little bit of a delay in getting that out from the Department of Health. Um, in the same way, we responded, you know, very quickly to small businesses, but not as quickly to folks who were having trouble with unemployment. And so I, I don't, I don't envy the governor having to, to balance all of these responsibilities with so many unknowns and it just unraveled so quickly. Um, but I do think that there were some misses at the state level in regards to um, the timeliness of our response and the decisiveness of our response. I think we needed a mask mandate sooner. I think we needed um, you know, to consider that we would have health disparities among some of our communities of color. We needed to get on top of that sooner. Um, and I think that, um, unfortunately, we, we prioritized um, perhaps the reopening of our economy without considering it's the workers who need to be safe and healthy who make up our economy. Okay. Um, some of your colleagues have filed a lawsuit um, concerned over uh, the state health department and the governor overreaching or or, or, or uh, unnecessarily extending the, the state of emergency. Um, what's your take on, on the lawsuit that's been filed? I am, am not um, a part of the lawsuit. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I do think that the Department of Health guidelines for businesses and for individuals um, 
again, could have been stronger and could have come sooner, that they um, are absolutely necessary. And as we continue to see cases rise, um, we continue to see our neighbors sick and dying. Um, we have to continue to take this seriously. And the governor needs um, the flexibility to be able to act, um, even though it doesn't feel as emergent as perhaps it did back in March or April, we're continuing to see cases um, and continuing to see deaths, continuing to see hospitalizations. And so, um, no, I'm not supportive of my colleagues who have filed the lawsuit. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the underlying thought, it seems to me, behind that is that the, that, uh, the legislature should have, as it progresses, the legislature should have more of a role in, in determining what is appropriate um, in the midst of an, uh, of a, an emergency. Um, and so we've heard various proposals about, uh, I guess, structurally creating the opportunity for the, the legislature uh, uh, to, to step in different, in a different way than, than it can happen right now. Um, do you feel like uh, the, the consultation and, and all is there with the governor um, and it's adequate or that, that there ought to be a structural change to that? I think that's a fair question. You know, I served on the Arkansas Legislative Council until relatively recently when we, um, it, our caucus um, elected a new minority leader. It shifted some things around. Um, but the ALC, the, the Legislative Council meets periodically and also as needed to be able to be that legislative oversight. Again, in situations like this where we have just such drastically and dramatically changing information and changing conditions, um, it, it wasn't enough to be able to say, we'll approve that at the next ALC. Um, you know, there, were, there were just certain situations where the governor did need his emergency powers to be intact. Um, I understand you know, some of my colleagues said, we need to be in special session, we need, ALC needs to be, meet weekly. Um, but we also have to consider the, the health of us as legislators. The Capitol currently is not fit for social distancing. Um, I know we're right now figuring out how we're going to make that work during the session um, to have plexiglass and have new committee rooms and, and spaced out and, and all of those things that you mentioned structurally just are not in place. And so again, we can't snap our fingers and recreate the Capitol or recreate um, you know, rules for how we call a special session, um, what we have in place is that Emergency Powers Act. And I think the governor, again, in situations even where we as legislators have not been formally a part of the process, we have been able to contact him through meeting with him in person or through his staff. And, and I've been proud to do that, to say, hey, I'm not going to, you know, this is something that my community needs. I'm going to reach out to his office and say, this is something, this is something I need to advocate for. And in some cases, you know, I've been able to be successful and others, it wasn't a priority, but that channel of communication and his willingness to meet with lawmakers is there. And so I think in these, you know, kind of extraordinary circumstances, we have to be creative about ways that we can be effective and um, do our job for our constituents, even if that doesn't mean sitting in a formal meeting and taking a vote. One of the, uh, as we've dealt with COVID, the nation and state and our local communities have also dealt with uh, some pretty intense uh, uh, interactions involving race relations. 
and uh, law enforcement and um, how we deal with, um, for example, the, the statue in Bentonville or the Confederate statue or, or those sorts of things. Um, what's the role of a legislator to address the, the kind of race relation issues that you see uh, over the last several months? And, and, and what do you feel like uh, the legislature can do to, to help uh, chart a path uh, toward, toward some change on that? Sure, I think that's such an important question and, and one that's particularly relevant in my district. You know, I have um, a very ethnically diverse district, like I mentioned, a large percentage of Latino and Hispanic constituents, a large percentage of Marshallese constituents, and also um, other communities of color and other um, and and white constituents as well. And so, um, issues of race and issues of diversity and inclusion and equity are extremely important to me personally, um, because you know, like I mentioned, I've I've been an educator in diverse communities my entire career, with the purpose and the intention of using my position of leadership to elevate the stories of others. And so that is what I think the role of a lawmaker is, is to be a true representative of her community. And even if she doesn't reflect the lived experiences of all of the members of her community, that she's elevating those voices and those stories. I know that in Springdale, there are constituents of mine who feel nervous about law enforcement. I also have a very good relationship with Chief Peters, the Springdale Police Chief, and a good relationship with Sheriff Holder, the Washington County Sheriff. And so I think what's important for lawmakers to do is realize that regardless of how people feel, those stories deserve to be told and listened to. And so I think that, you know, something that I'm proud of doing is saying we can't be we can't be unwilling to validate and listen to perspectives of, of people that, um, that are different from ours, but we also have to be willing to communicate and to find common ground. And so, um, you know, for example, there is a, um, a hate crimes bill that has been proposed. Um, I'm in favor of the legislation and I was, was reached out to almost immediately from a constituent who said, can you please support this? This is so important in our community. You know, I've been working with um, members of the Latino community who say we really need, um, you know, we feel our, especially our immigrant community feels nervous or afraid to reach out to law enforcement because we're not sure um, that we're safe based on our immigration status or our, or our um, family members' immigration status. Um, but also taking those concerns to law enforcement and say, I know that your job is so difficult. I know that your job, you know, to protect and, you know, be a safe presence in this community. I know that that's so difficult, but the reality is there is tension and there is mistrust. And so what can we do collectively to build that trust? And I had a conversation with Chief Peters after the session, I sat on the transportation committee and there were several new um, like road safety and public safety laws. And so I met with him and said, we wanna make sure that all of our residents in Springdale know about these new laws because if they're empowered, you know, to have fewer interactions with law enforcement, 
then that's better. And if they're seeing law enforcement is saying, hey, we want you to be safe. We want you to be um, in a position to follow the new laws as is, um, then that's going to build that community safety and trust. Um, I also appreciate um, the willingness of um, Serena Police to bring on um, officers of color to reflect the experiences and the um, the, the cultural perspectives of the, the residents in their community. And so I do think, again, like I mentioned about politics, I think issues of race um, can be extremely divisive and personal and hurtful. But I'm really proud of the work I've done my entire career of being someone who does have a position of privilege as a white woman, but has also constantly and consistently championed communities of color and individuals of color, listening to, validating, recognizing their lived experiences, but then taking those in a way to seek solutions within individuals leaders, and systems that can create that change. And so I think that, um, you know, in the legislature, I, I kind of have the reputation of, um, like, I think people know what my district looks like based on how I advocate for it. Um, I do tend to um, really bring up the stories and experiences of my Latino constituents, of my Marshallese constituents. And not every lawmaker has those stories to take with them. Um, and not every lawmaker is, is prioritizing those stories. Um, but I am, and I do. And I think that being able to tell those stories in a way that brings people alongside um, instead of alienating them, um, I think is, is something that is completely doable, um, but very difficult because it, it can be really um, personal and grueling work um, when, when who we are and what we believe and what we, you know, what we look like is, is on the line. It's hard work, but it's, it's work I've done my whole career and that I'll continue to do for sure as a lawmaker. I want to ask you real quick, we're about to run out of time, but I want to ask you quickly about issue one, the extension, <laughs> permanent extension of the Hassan sales tax for roads and highways. What's your, uh, how are you going to vote and why? I'm yes on issue one. Like I said, I, you know, I'm an educator on the transportation committee. I've turned into quite the little highway guru, <laughs> but I've heard, um, you know, really from the beginning of session, just the importance of those highway funds, how critical the need is, how desperate our state is for them. You know, up in our neck of the woods, we're seeing booming growth and, and need, um, you know, to continue to build those roads to, to um, keep up with the growth in our community, both for, for drivers and for industry. Um, and then other parts of the state, we have roads and bridges in really bad shape, really dangerous conditions. And so I'm in favor of issue one. Um, we'll be voting for it, voted for it during the session, so. Okay, thanks. Does the, um, that, you know, I'm, I think you're familiar with the argument, uh, you know, that does the mechanism of the tax, um, you know, being in the Constitution, being permanent, being extraordinarily difficult to change once it's in there, um, does that give you pause at all? I hear that, you know, and really several of the components of the highway tax or the highway plan, the comprehensive highway plan, um, I don't think anybody thought every single component is perfect. I think there were a lot of um, you know, could some hemming and hawing about, oh, is that the best way to do that? Can we get that fund from, from somewhere else? Should we vote it in ourselves? Um, but ultimately, I think that um, comprehensively, the, the funds um, and the sources and the mechanism um, that was voted on is, is really the best 
way to do it. Um, I do worry about those funds needing to come from general revenue and, and dipping into resources for schools and other state services that we need. And so um, I understand the concern. I think it's valid, but I think um, knowing that every stone was, was turned over to, to look for ways we can make this happen, um, I, I am in favor of, of the way that she's written. A big um, issue for some people in Northwest Arkansas is the, is the protection of the Buffalo River. Um, and uh, uh, that the way that's been in discussion uh, in recent uh, years has been about the hog farm and the uh, the state uh, making the payment to to remove that one large scale hog farm um, and uh, the the proposal to have a permanent moratorium on hog farms within the watershed. Um, how do you feel about that? And where where should the state go with that? Sure. I was encouraged during the session that there was progress toward protecting the Buffalo River. And then, you know, here in the past couple of months, we've kind of gone back a little bit and did not ultimately approve the permanent moratorium. I do think that's a miss. Um, I know that, you know, folks were, were trying to say that it's, it's effectively a, a moratorium and, you know, nobody's going to want to build a hog farm there. And, you know, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a moratorium, but I do wish we would have um, I do wish we would have made it permanent. I think that I had, I had a lot of constituents reach out, um, both from my district and then Arkansas from all over the state who said, this is one of our, our gems, our treasures, and, and we, need, we need to really take seriously our commitment to protecting it. So I do think that was a miss to not make the moratorium permanent. Okay. Well, we, uh, we are approaching the end of our time together, but uh, I wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity uh, if there are any issues that uh, uh, we haven't asked about that you think are, are critical to your district or to the state uh, that uh, as, as you, uh, uh, if you're reelected, would move into another, another term, um, any issues out there that you want to address? Sure. You know, I think even more important than issues um, is that willingness and commitment to seek common sense solutions, like I mentioned. I think so much of lawmaking is about collaborating, is about thinking through good ideas, is about thinking about um, pitfalls and things that could trip you up, looking for partners, looking for um, supporters who, who can share your common goal. And I think my experience um, just in, in working as an educator and then also in my first term has really equipped me, regardless of the issue, to do the hard work of lawmaking, even as a member of the minority party. I think both my experience and then also my experiences um, as an educator, as a mom of young kids, as a, as a Spanish speaker, um, as somebody who you know, has really deep roots in Springdale, I think all of those things um, make it possible um, and really hopeful um, that regardless of the issue, that I'm going to do the hard work necessary um, to bring solutions to my district and to the state of Okay, Rusty, you got anything else? No, no, I think uh, we covered everything. Thank you so much, Megan, for spending some time Thanks with us. Thank y'all. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. All right. Well, we, we do appreciate your time a lot. I know uh, there's a lot going on, but, uh, uh, and probably one more Zoom meeting uh, is never yeah. anything anybody <laughs> wants to do, but we appreciate you taking time to do it. And uh, good luck out there campaign campaigning. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to visit. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye.